I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theater Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theater. If you've been enjoying the American Theater Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theater that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Patrick Lord, a projection and video designer who has designed projections for over 60 theater productions, including numerous world premieres at the Kennedy Center, multiple productions at Shakespeare Theater Company, including Hamlet featuring Michael Urie in the title role, and for various theaters in New York, DC, and across the country, including Lincoln Center, Revolución Latina, Cinetic Theater, Olney Theater Center, Gala Hispanic Theater, Metro Stage, First Stage, and the Keegan Theater. He also recently worked on the video design team to adapt the Broadway show Mean Girls for its first national tour. His work has been nominated across the country, and he is a passionate advocate for theater for young audiences. He holds an MFA in projection design from the University of Texas at Austin. Hi, Patrick. Hi. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, thank you so much for joining us here at American Theater Artists Online Podcast. We're so excited to have another designer. I'm excited to be here. Yes, well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you more about what you do since you are a projection and video designer, which is really exciting to me as I read through your resume and, and looked about all the stuff that you're working on. But first and foremost, how are you doing and holding up during this quarantine time? That is a good question. Um, I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm well, no, <laughs> I'm doing okay. As much as we all are. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm lucky as an artist. I feel like I was in a really good place. Um, I had, a, you know, I had like seven shows get canceled immediately. Yeah. And um, but I was in a good place with a lot of my work, and I'm really trying to take this quarantine time and this pause in the industry to actually focus more on the industry at large. And I think a lot of us are. And I think I'm actually really grateful for what this time has meant in terms of how we're reflecting on and changing as a theater community. Oh, well, that's good. Yes, I agree. I think that's a really uh, healthy way to approach it. And I, I hear you on the canceled um, planned productions. But, you know, uh, we're going to get back to it, I hope, at some point soon. Absolutely. My dog is very happy to have me around more. <laughs> I was going to say it allows you to be uh, a dog daddy for, for longer, right? More, more period of time. Yep. Longer period of time. <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit more about what it is that you do, your video projection and video designer. I guess before we even go into exactly what you do, and I, I do want to get to that, um, how did you get your start in theater? Did you start as a performer or was this, uh, or were you always on the design side or is this something that you just started more you know, later in life or more recently? Well, how, did, was this something you always wanted to do or is it new? Uh, so I, Never thought I would be a theater person. Um, my parents and stuff, we always went to Broadway when I was younger, but uh, it was never a big thing for me. I think I might have, I did a little bit of theater in high school just because at the time I was like friends with people there and I think I was dating someone on the crew, but it wasn't like a thing that I ever thought that I would be doing. Yeah. Uh, I started college pre-law and I was pretty dead set on being a criminal prosecutor. Oh, wow. And then I... Um, <clears throat> that kind of became really depressing to me uh, and that kind of reality. And so I walked over to a theater department and I was like, Hey, can I, can I help out? Hmm. And then I ended up doing a number of shows with uh, a school and I realized that I fell in love with it. And so I transferred, got a BFA in set design 
and then I worked for a bit, and then I got a master's of fine arts in projection and video design. So oh, wow. I've and so you've always been committed, and I've been doing it. So it's always been on the design side, though. So you weren't like an actor at one point, or or director. No, okay. at no point. <laughs> <laughs> no point. Okay, no point just, have I ever been um, on ever been on stage. <laughs> right. You just help other people that are on stage to look good and and to make sense of what they're doing. So um so that's awesome. So that's quite a trajectory and and to go from from that to 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 end up getting your MFA. And do you have an MFA actually in projection design? I do. Uh, it's one of the few I went to University of Texas at Austin, which is one of the few programs that actually has uh, a master's in it. And I worked with my mentor was Sven Ortel, who, who did uh, the projections for Newsies and a bunch of other great stuff. And, um, wow. It was uh, an incredible program. I also worked with like Charlie Adi and a bunch of the great professors all at UT. Um, and so, yeah, I'm super lucky. I always thought like, oh, well, I'm a set designer. And they were like, do you want to do this? And I was like, sure. And now I don't really do set design, and I feel like I found my <laughs> the niche that I was the niche I was supposed to be doing the whole time. Well, we'll talk more about it's that. We'll talk more about that in, later because the set design versus what you do versus projection and video design. I want to talk to you a bit about that. But um, sure. can you explain first of all specifically for those that are listening that may not even understand yet as they're listening? Maybe they're not big on theater, or maybe they just are in theater but don't understand what we're talking about. What specifically do you do and how is it different than what we think of a traditional set or lighting designer and how, you know, how, how is it different? So it's, um, this is a great question. And it's something that I, I talk about a lot actually, because as you can imagine, we're projection design is kind of the new kid on the team, but at the same time, it is a vastly different and completely not the same, um, field. It's not an extension of lighting design. It's not an extension of set design. It is a, another voice on the design team. Um, so the reason that we go projection and video design is even in our community, we can't settle on a title. In the UK, they go by video designers. Here, it's more frequently projection designers. Uh, and then with the rise and popularity of um, LED screens and that kind of video walls, mm-hmm. that's why like video designers become more popular. But yeah. um, so like broad you know the quick and dirty version of what i do is i uh create animations custom content video content to become in and then i figure out how it is integrated cued and um collaborates with lighting and set to appear on stage um so my job goes from being a video director videographer cinematographer to someone that creates hand animations um editing there's a whole every i say every show i do i learn a new skill from Hmm. how to learn how to digital digitally paint backdrops or how to learn how to shoot something that i didn't know how to do or animate something in a different way um but it's really it is another discipline that i'm just gonna keep saying that a lot in this interview probably it's not the same as set design and and video design uh, or in lighting design yeah uh, because those are my collaborators and my teammates but they're you know, I don't think that they, they, they don't know what they, they, I, the same way that I can't do what they do. Sure. Uh, it's a different, a whole different thing. Right. I mean, I can see the relationship and I can see how you have to have uh, a good collaboration, um, a good collaborative process with the lighting and the set designer. And so I guess you're another, you're another designer at the table, sort of like I remember, well, I remember, I know and remember a bit how the advent of uh, sound design as a profession was really something was kind of the last design uh, profession that was sort of invented in the 60s and 70s. It was not really an, a thing prior to that, right? To have a sound designer. So right. Uh, so that's yeah. what we're that's what we're currently doing. Yeah. Like we're kind of we're at the place where sound design was, and we're kind of up fighting that uphill battle to get recognition, understanding of what we're doing. Absolutely. And I think part of that is under, is the audience understanding the difference. Because I think a lot of times people in the audience who may not be versed in design think, oh, maybe the lighting designer did all this stuff uh, or the set designer. And that's, you know, not the case. Most of the times there's a specific person working on projection and video design. Right. And I, I mean, it's, it's also important to say that none of it is, I don't say any of this in a way that should be interpreted as like combative. Like these Absolutely. are my teammates and collaborators. Yes. Um, you have to work together. You, not all yeah, of you but, need each other. 
Right. Yeah. The same way that I, I mean, I think it's always funny that like the best, you know, the, the, the saying goes like the best designs are the ones where you can't pick them apart. Like nice. where the lighting designer and the set designer and the video designer and the costume designer and the sound designer are like all so much on the same page that you just like, oh, that moment felt right. Well, you know, Not like as a co- oh, the lighting in that moment was great. Yeah. As, as a choreographer, <laughs> I feel the same way because I want it to be that the audience doesn't notice where the director left off and where I picked up. And vice versa, and right. it, that's the same way with with uh, with choreographers and directors. It shouldn't audience shouldn't know who did what. That's what's exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, and so, it's. I mean, I, the the thing I love about my job is that it it's it's different, but it crosses those disciplines. And so, like, I get to work really like I start working when the set designer starts working. So, like, they have models and sketches, and we start figuring out like how image can live on those things. And then I don't stop working until the light designer writes his last cue. I was going to so ask you, how do you, process. yeah, how do you actually prepare for a production? So do you, obviously, hopefully you're there from the beginning, right? You're brought in at the beginning with the design team. You're part of the design team. That is at the upper levels and other levels. That is the dream. Yes. But, but so idea. much of my career has been, hey, we're doing this show in a month and we just decided to add projections. So are oh, you wow. free? <laughs> right. So, okay, let's talk about the two different processes then. Let's talk about how do you prepare uh, to put together what you're going to contribute to a production when you are at the table from the beginning. And then let's talk about what you do when you have those quick, you know, you've got four weeks. So how do you prepare when you're brought in from the beginning? What is your process sort of like? Do you have separate meetings with the set and the lighting folks and then the director or do you all meet together? How does that work? Uh, typically I start with the director. Um, I think most designers start with the director. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it always starts with the question of the, the cool thing that I love about my job is that it's, I don't do the same thing twice. And so I kind of always have to ask like, what do you see the voice and the role of projection being in the show? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it is, it is like going to be a big backdrop in the back. And so you're talking about just wanting to like locate things with scenery. Sometimes it's, Oh, there's a character that's going to be digital or sometimes it's they are just kind of finding out what niche I'm serving mm-hmm. because I think that the danger in this is when people are like, Oh, we're going to add projections to like make things cool. And then it becomes like a, mm-hmm. a trick or then you, you don't have a cohesive vision to it. And so really it's about clarifying like, what is the goal here. And then that leads us to working with the set designer about like, how can we integrate this so that we're not just putting like a rectangular screen on stage and so that it feels like it's in, it's in the bones and the, the, the framework of the set and how does it, how is, how can lighting help like extend the image or how can we play with color palettes? And so it's all kind of an evolving long process. That's great. And so that's when you have time, right? And that's sort of how you like to collaborate. And then after you go to the director first, are you then, part of the design team, do you go off and work with the set? How, how, how closely do you work with the set and lighting designer or do you do your own thing and then meet with them later? It varies from project to project and set to set in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. I like to do, um, I think the big trick for being a projection designer is you have to, you have to prepare and then also be ready to pivot in the moment, which is really can be difficult because unlike a lighting designer, or like other people that have certain tools in the room, like there are lights that are hung in the room, but if suddenly we come up with a new idea in the room, it's gotta like, we have to make a piece of content that might not exist. Um, so it's, for me, it's, 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 it's a, yeah, it's, it's project to project where sometimes I will sit with the set designer if they have a lot of specific ideas. Sometimes they will just sort of, in my experience, maybe it's just, um, thankfully people, trust me a bit maybe and they just sort of like let me run with it and I come up with a lot of like storyboards and I take their scenic renderings and I kind of put images onto them and I kind of create visuals for all of us to respond to um, so that we're actually kind of pre-visualizing as much of the show as we can um, instead of just talking about ideas we're going to actually say like oh what if we have the woman's face like 40 feet high but it's at this angle and things like that <laughs> wow so that's that's pretty collaborative I mean that's really having to grab the design uh, the set design, for example, you just mentioned, and work with that to create. Now, does it ever work the other way around? Do you ever sort of, do they ever let you run with sort of your projection video design and then the set and the light sort of play off of that? Does that happen too? It does. Um, I don't ever, I mean, like in generally, I don't ever like to think of um, teams 
as like hierarchical, even with the director. I think of everyone at the table with me as like my teammates, mm-hmm. um, and then we have a more lateral process. So I don't really like to like say that I'm necessarily leading, but at the same time, if I have a good relationship with people and we have a certain idea or vision for like, oh, projections, we are like central to this, and so we need to kind of have what you need first, and then we'll kind of um, address it. Like I just did um, Phantom of the Opera at Cinetic Theater. And that was a very projection at the core show. And so that we actually ended up being like, all right, the screen at the back needs to be here. So when they're running in front of it, it looks like the wall is moving and it looks real or like the set needs to be kind of pulled back here. And so there was a lot of, a lot of that. Um, so it depends on just the project. Trying to yeah. Yeah. So it depends on the project. It sounds like, and then if, you know, so if the, like, I think what you, what I'm hearing you say is that if the project is very uh, projection video heavy to begin with, then, then that can happen. Sort of can take a more center, center stage approach. So you talked a little bit about it already. So what? But elaborate a bit more. What means a good collaborative experience for you? Like, how do you need want, you know, your creative collaborators to be? And you already mentioned that you think of things as very, um, you know, it's a group effort. Nothing leads yeah. per se, and that's great. So that already gives me an insight into how you you work. But what is like an ideal situation for you? Is there you know, can you can you give us an example of a time when it really worked really, really well? Um, I'm gonna, if, I, if an example comes to me, I'll think about it, but like sure. I'll try and describe it. And then maybe Absolutely. it's sort of, for me, it's, um, and I hope the rain is just starting. And so hopefully it's not too bad on microphone, but. No, I don't hear anything, but stay dry. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, for me, the best room that I'm in is the room where everybody in the room feels like they can say whatever they want about whatever design discipline they're talking about. Where like I have, where I can turn to my costume design friend and be like, "Hey, that doesn't really feel right in this scene, even though it has no impact on my job." Mm-hmm. Or the light designer can turn around to me and be like, "Hey, why are we doing that here? Like, can you make that cue a little bit?" Like everybody should just feel a complete abandonment of like ego and like territorialism, and so it's all about like just making the best project. And so that's my ideal room is, and I like to have uh, assistants on my teams and associates and stuff where I like to, and I like to encourage them to, to voice their opinions whenever I'm working with them. And I'm, I'm always like, if, you, if, I, if I'm saying a dumb idea, somebody just tell me, like, it's probably stupid. I say a lot of those, like, <laughs> and so I just need, I like, I like those rooms where I, where everyone can feel comfortable saying all their stupid ideas and trust that someone's going to say like, no, we don't, we're not going to do that. Well, that's where the good ideas uh, come when, when all the stupid right. ideas are, are rolling, you know, rolling around and then in, inside there somewhere is going to be an amazing idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever done a show where like we just did exactly what we planned from the, from the meetings. It was always like we got into the theater and then we started doing it. And we we're like, Oh wait, I just figured out what this is about. I'm like, yeah. let me figure this out now. Right. Wow. Because the actors are just as much a part of my process as the, my fellow. Like the, it's the entire room. Like I say, a lot of people think like, "Oh, you're a video digital projection person," so it's all like on the computer. And I'm like, "Yeah, but to an extent, it's still theater, and it's still like it needs those bodies responding to it. It needs people in front of the screen. Otherwise, I'm not making. I'm be making movies. I, right. I would not be." <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I think I think people. You're right. People have this impression. Oh, you're into projections or video design. You're sitting in a room splicing film together and doing all these things on your computer. And the last thing you want to do is talk to someone and be around, you know, in a room with other people. But the reality is, what you do requires that you know you have to bounce some of these projections off of the actors. You have to see where the actors are moving, right? I would assume, and where they are on stage. <clears throat> Right, so that must be real interesting when you get into the tech. What is Tech Week like for you? I mean, you must be really adjusting and adapting. You must have to be very, very flexible during that tech period. Yeah, I mean, I think that anyone that's worked with me has heard me say that I will that we'll have a battle plan beforehand, and directors will like kind of know my vision and like aesthetic that we're going for, mm-hmm. and then I will throw out ninety percent of the content I made like the first day because we'll figure it out. Right. Uh, but for me, it's just it's. Uh, being a projection designer really at its core is about planning and understanding how your how everything works like it's about building everything in pieces that you can manipulate understanding how theater conventions work because there are a lot of people that I think a common misstep that I see a lot is theaters will hire like a video artist to do projections for their show Mm. and they'll come in with like a three minute edited sequence and then you'll be like oh we're going to change the timing of this 
scene there. You're like, okay, cool. I need to edit it. It'll be done tomorrow. And you're like, well, we're, we only have two days to tech this. So that's not going to work. Right. <laughs> so you have to know and be flexible and know how to cue things and know how to break things down and, um, and, and kind of just be quick. At, so you do that right on the, on the spur of the moment, right in the room, in the theater. Yeah. It's also why, wow. um, a big thing that I think all theaters and industries are learning is that projection designers really need um, team support teams mm-hmm. because that, that's why I talk about like, I need like an associate an assistant, like a content artist, because that's the same way of saying like, I need the same way that a set designer needs a painter and a scene shop to build things. Like I need those people because my job when we're in the theater is to be talking to their designers and looking on this, looking at the stage, not with my head buried in a laptop making changes. Like my job is to be like, Oh, here's what we need to do turn around, give that note, do a really quick, I'm like famous for doing like really bad like sketches in a notebook and then like throwing them at my assistant <laughs> and be like, make this piece of content in Photoshop or After Effects and then they'll do it. Wow. Um, and, and it's, you know, so it's about building that kind of um, trust and understanding that like we also know we're on the same page from the beginning. So when we do make those changes, we all know like, oh, it's in this style that we already agreed upon. It's just a new thing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, that really is such a um, in-the-moment process with materials that have to be shifted quickly and that are not easy to shift quickly, right? Because if I'm a choreographer or a director and something isn't working in tech, I can restage it, right? I can re-block it. And that is some effort, but it can be done pretty easily with just people and the stage (laughs) and some time. But for you, it's like you've got to go to that projection or that video and literally have you or your associates or assistants or the team work together to create something new it, it on the fly or pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think that that's just, it comes from wow. experience and sure. getting ready to do it and being, and being, being, it's kind of that building that relationship with the whole team leading up to it too is a lot of times we'll be like, oh, we're going to give you a really, really, it's a new idea, but like we're going to rough it out and it's going to be like really kind of a rough sketch of it and we'll put it up for us to see and then people will be like oh yeah i think that's gonna work and they'll be like cool we're gonna develop that but like, let's keep moving so that we don't just hold the process up right right yeah so there has to be uh, enough just for it to be to to fit in at that moment and then you can refine yeah it's it's all about creating um honestly instead of thinking about it from more of like a crazy technical side i really say that it's more about just creating those trust relationships by being prepared like i think it's really about like people understood where you're coming from and that kind of thing. And so the people are going to be like, yes, I trust you. We're going to figure this out and we'll figure out how to make it work. Right. And then you're more ready to jump into action too, to do, to go yeah. in it, to go in any direction you need to go. And your mind is more open. Yeah. Right. That's great. And that to be that way for a director, what a wonderful asset and tool for a director to have a designer who's like that. Uh, that's yeah, great. I tell anyone, anyone that I work with, I'm like, don't ever think about the technology that we're talking about. Like, when directors are like, well, how are you going to, and I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, it's not your problem to figure out how we're going to do it. Great. Let's just talk about like what the story is. And doesn't, All, that frees yeah. them up, right? That frees up the director to be able to relax a bit and leave it, leave it to you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's to my, in my mind, that's always been every designer's job is, and this is a just general philosophy. Every designer's job is the same as every actor and director in the room. We're storytellers. We're not just, we're not just, craftsmen with a particular skill set we are all storytellers first that have other skill sets absolutely absolutely well so tell me a little bit about some of the projects that you have worked on um there's one that i there's a few that i know of but there's one that i wanted to talk to you about because it sounds so exciting uh and that was working on hamlet at the shakespeare theater in dc dc shakespeare theater directed by michael Kahn, correct Mm-hmm. And featuring yeah, that was his last Shakespeare. Wow, that's pretty pretty cool. And uh, starring Michael Yuri from um, Ugly Betty and other uh, famous you know things that people might know him from TV if they don't know him from the theater. Um, so, what was that experience like uh, working on Hamlet at the Shakespeare Theater? And what was what did you get from that experience? Uh, it was a great experience. I liked um, Michael Yuri was. Uh, great performer and a great human being to work with he and i had to like film some awkward scenes where he's like in front of a green screen carrying another actor around um hiding polonius's body for security footage um and then it was a much more i would say traditional video design in that the the concept of the show was very like this is because of the show now feels very 
dark because it was all about a like fascist totalitarian government taking over. Um, and so it was just kind of like video monitors that would come in and out. Um, Shakespeare, I, I wouldn't say it's, I would say it's honestly, it wasn't the most like innovative tech interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. We just had a more, uh, had a more peripheral role of kind of trying to enhance a lot of those moments um, and add a different bit of flavor. We had a, we had some fun playing with like actually convince them to let me use their big projector that they have just sitting there to like, when the ghost comes in, we projected the same like static that we had used in his videos so that it felt like he was coming from inside the screen when he was on stage. Oh, wow. Um, cool. And like, so I, I always like to find things like that because for me, one of the hardest things that I hate, hardest shows for me are the ones where I'm constrained to a little screen. Right, sure. <laughs> I love bigger, expansive things. And so, um, but that was like storytelling wise, it's always been interesting to me to. I mean, a lot of what people come to me for are, are like new, new work and like new projects. And so it's always really interesting when I get a chance to take a crack at like the old classics. Um, and that came like the, right after doing Twelfth Night at Shakespeare Theater Company with mm. Ethan McSweeney. And so oh, it was like back to back two Shakespeare's with them. Which is great. That's great to have under your belt. And, and it's all, you know, Shakespeare is one of those authors that you can kind of go crazy with and do a bunch of stuff with. And it, it, and, and it must... Uh, free you a bit. And so I, I assume you worked with Ethan McSweeney and Michael Kahn uh, pretty closely or with their associates or how did that, you say you like to start working with the director. Is Was that the case with, with these two productions? Uh, I think with Michael Kahn, I worked closer with his associate because uh, they were kind of, these were also pro- pro- uh, projects where I was brought in a little bit later than the beginning. Okay, yeah. Uh, so it was sort of, they had a very, with both of them, they were like, we have a, we have one idea for what we want to do, which is basically like Hamlet was like, we want security footage. And like, that was kind of all they wanted. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Ethan McSweeney was like, I want gate arrival signs for this air. Cause we turned the Harmon into an airport. Oh, for 12th night. And then I was, yeah, <laughs> it was great. We dropped like 20 pieces of luggage, uh, at the opening of the show. It was awesome. It's oh, great. But, and then it was like, after that, they were, and I was like, all right, do you want anything, do anything else? And they were like, I don't know yet. And so we just sort of evolved from there. And it was for 12th night, we made these like faux high fashion dream videos that kind of worked during interludes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for Hamlet, again, I was sort of like exploring more about the very like digital age that we're in of surveillance footage. Yeah. And surveillance technology and that kind of thing. And so it was, both were interesting, but they were much more straightforward than a lot of the other shows that I've done. Right. So those were more of examples of a traditional um, kind of, you know, you using your creativity and experience as a projection and video designer for a traditional, closer to traditional production. Uh, Right. Now, so what, so if those were more on the traditional side, give me some examples of a show that you worked on that was really uh, not traditional, that was out there in in the more, um, you know, um, in, in the the more challenging kind of realm of you know avant garde or anything kind of really out there that, that you did. Sure, uh, I have the one thing. The first thing I'll say is that I work with uh, County Center Theater for the Audiences a, a good amount. Yeah, and they, I I say this without any kind of irony, and I mean it in all sincerity. They are on the cutting edge of so much creative work. Uh, I think TYA in general is. Yeah, we did. A, a new musical last summer um, about that was written by Lauren Gunderson with music by Kate Kerrigan and Brian Laddermilk um, about the the moon landing. And it was to celebrate because it was right at, we launched it, we opened it in July. So it was in conjunction with the celebration of the 50th anniversary of the moon landing and everything. Oh, nice. And it was about race. It was about from the perspective of the kids seeing their parents like go off in space. And it was we were writing, they were writing this musical in like three weeks or however long while we were coming up with things. And it was in a weird black box space at the Kennedy Center, so not even one of their theaters. Yet we built a full surround with five projectors and like 10 million lumen crazy pixel. Like it was a completely immersive, insane show that we all, like a musical. And what and was, was the title of this musical? Earthrise. Earthrise. I believe there's a studio recording at some point coming out, but. Oh wow! Okay, that's great. So, so you're you've worked, uh, you've done a few, uh, several of these shows with the Kennedy Center and the, the the Theater for Young Audiences program. 
Yeah, I mean, we did a show. My first show with them was a show called Where Words Once Were, um, where we kind of created this immersive, um, again, like we kind of mapped the set and put words all over there because it was about a world where language is disappearing. We took that show to the Lincoln Center eventually. Um, and then we did a, a show about a woman, a young girl wanting to be a scientist that has similar like mapping science um, stuff. They, I literally get, I, they joke about how every show I, I do there, I ask for like one more projector and like one more new thing. <laughs> and they were like, I don't know if we can, this will be possible. And then we do it. Wow. Um, what a great, what a great opportunity and what a great place for you to, to play right with a real production and, and be able to, to really experiment. It sounds like you've got a lot of creative freedom in that program. Yeah. I mean, they are, um, the whole team over there, David Kilpatrick, Harry Poster, uh, Liz Shilkret and Mary, the whole team are exceptional people that want to do really quality work for young people. And it's, it pushes the technical envelope in so many interesting ways. And I've worked with some of my best friends there. And so, that's amazing. And not only are you getting the space to do what you love and to really go for it, you're also, because it's theater for young audiences, you're, you're getting a new audience, a whole new generation of audience used to seeing that kind of creativity with the proje- projection and the video design as well. So they're, getting, they're, they're learning to, to understand a story told through those means. Right. And then, I mean, like on the flip side, we also did... Um, mnemonic at theater alliance several years ago mm-hmm. there was a theater complicite adaptation that was all very like movement based avant-garde kind of strange where like day one i threw it all out at one point we like mapped a naked actor on stage to put a tattoos on him at one point we did crazy stuff so it was like i said I, I, my career has so far run the, the full gamut in just the five years that I've been doing projection design. Wow. Like and so in just five years, you have done such a wide range of work. You, they must be calling you every five minutes to do something because how did you fit all of this work in five years? And also I was, I was just going to say for um, you mentioned mnemonic, uh, the show, that's the show that you got a Helen Hayes award nomination for. Correct. Correct. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I know you worked with Colin Hovde on that one. Um, and he's a great DC director that I think is, is moved on. But, but he was here for many years working at Theater Alliance and, and other places. I, I choreographed a show for him. He's, he, he, I really, truly enjoyed working with him. Yeah, he, he also did my first show with Kennedy Center TYA that went to Lincoln Center, that Where Words Once Were. So yeah, he, the one you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, um, so he's a great collaborator. I really enjoyed, did you enjoy really that collaboration? Yeah, I mean, I love Colin. I love working with him. Uh, I was honored, as anyone is, uh, honored to be nominated. I think that we're still, I'm going to like be a little bit divisive or whatever, but I guess <laughs> they think that Theater Washington still needs to recognize uh, projection design as its own category. Um, it shouldn't be in collaboration. It shouldn't be in conjunction with another design discipline. Right, because uh, then you're... Kelly Coburn. Just... Yeah, then you're competing, right, with, with another another branch of design. Well, it, it just, it, it minimizes our field because it doesn't recognize us as individual artists. Um, and it's not always, we're not, and actually the year that I did mnemonic and was nominated, I was not competing against any other projections I are nominated because we were all in different categories. Oh. One of us with, was within like the Helen category for lighting. I think I was in the Hayes category for lighting and the other one was in the Hayes category for sets. And so we weren't actually competing against each other. And so it wow. was just, it, uh, like I said, Kelly Coburn just won, uh, I think yesterday or two days ago, she just won the second, she's the second Helen Hayes Award for projection design ever. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and when you think that like I've done, I've done about 40 or 50 shows in the past five years in DC, that means there have been hundreds of shows of projection design and they've awarded two awards. Right. So they're not, so just like we were talking about where sound design had to develop and sort of grow, uh, it sounds like projection and video design is is still working on getting recognized. And and I think you're right to point it out. It's important that organizations like Theater Washington and the Helen Hayes Awards um, do their best to really recognize projection and video design as um, a, a separate and unique uh, entity. Because otherwise, you know, they have the same problem with choreography uh, in plays and choreography versus, you know, like what, what Pata does in, at Synetic Theater is very much movement based versus what I do, which is choreograph musicals, which is a whole other 
uh, skill set. And I feel like it's not fair to put us against each other. For both of us, it's not fair, right? And just for you with the designs. So nevertheless, congratulations yeah, for your nomination because that's pretty uh, impressive in, in such a competitive field. Thank you. And I mean, like I say, like DC, DC, I will say like DC is the only theater that doesn't currently recognize projection as a field. Every other Chicago, Boston, uh, New York, everywhere has several other words. That'd be the last thing I'll say about that. No, we got to work on it. We got to work on it. And I do like a writing campaign and I send emails to Theater Washington nicely and say, you know, I think that's how that's how changes happen. You just have to 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 voice voice your concerns and voice your your thoughts. And, you know, if you don't tell them and you don't mention it, they'll never know. And or they may not put it together, two and two together. So it's important it's, to speak up. For it's, also, it's also not because, I want to be very clear, it's not because I want awards. I didn't get into theater design to become a famous anything. Of, of like, course, of course. It's about recognition for the craft, right? Recognition is what gets us younger artists that still want to join the field. Yeah. And so when you don't have an award, they see it as not really an option. And then it's how we get more artists in the field. It's how we get better representation in the field because there are more artists. Therefore, we can get more... BIPOC artists, more gender artists of all genders. We can just the field becomes better when we and the whole community becomes better when we all recognize and respect each other. And so for me, it's not about like a personal. I want to win awards for it. It's more like I want everyone to actually recognize that like this is a field that we should be encouraging younger artists to go into. Theaters can win awards for it, so they should put some more resources behind it. Like there's a whole ripple effect of of it and it's not for me it's not personal at all right no well <laughs> you're, you're forging you're forging the way is what you're doing it's for those that come after you that's what you're doing right now you're building the path for your profession for 20 30 years from now when it's everyone's gonna be like of course it's a separate thing you know by the time they get to that you have already laid the groundwork and the people in your generation working doing that and the people who've come before you are, are just like they've laid the groundwork for you so it'll happen it just takes a little time and I think you're absolutely right that it needs okay. to be needs to be that way. So, um, you know, since we're talking about the advent, you know, of projection and video design over time and sort of how it's progressing and changing as a profession in the theater, let's talk a little bit more about what something that I've noticed over time as an audience member and as a theater, uh, uh, you know, producer myself, uh, theater practitioner, I should say, I've noticed over time that theater productions are utilizing projections, screens, video much, much more than they used to. And not just on Broadway, right? As you just exp exp explained, um, regional theater, uh, local theater, even community theaters and, and colleges and universities are using screens, projections, video much, much more than they used to. Do you think this is an ongoing trend? And where do you think we're headed with this? Where do you see this happening? You know, what's gonna happen in five, 10 years? Is, it, is the traditional set design going to be gone and lighting design the way we thought of it 50 years ago? Uh, I think it's not going away. Uh, I think that video, I think the projection of video design is just going to keep evolving. I mean, really the why it's evolving so rapidly is the technology it keeps changing. Mm -hmm. And so it's become more accessible for like, you can program it more on like programs that are free and projectors are becoming cheaper as they become outdated. Like that's kind of the ripple effect of, that's happening in theater. Yeah, I have never at one point thought to myself like, oh, I'm here to make somebody else extinct. And I don't think anyone does. Uh, <laughs> no. yeah. I think that it's more about like, you can't, get rid, you can't get rid of set designers or light designers because they are, they're world builders like anyone else. Like they are, everyone else has a job building this world. Like my job, if I can't replace a set designer because then I would just have image in a black void. <laughs> sure. Like I need something and like a structure and a world to build off of. Um, well, wait, that's, but wait, that's very generous of you because uh, productions like The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which I saw on Broadway, or Anastasia, as an audience member, I will be really honest, I didn't see much of the value of the set designer in those productions. It was 90% projection or video. I mean, I know more than the average person I would like to think. I did see some moments that were obviously part of the set design, but really... Without the projection in the video, there would be nothing. So um, could it be that projection in video is overtaking set design? You may not want it to, but may, may that be what will be happening? Again, I, I would, the only thing I'm pushing back on, I think, is the phrase overtake. Like, I think that it's the same with Curious Incident. I think that 
Well, but the projections were kind of a central, pivotal, huge part of that show. Yes. The world that was built aesthetically for that to shine of those white walls and that square, like to build them, to like let the movement and abstraction of that world be what it was, mm-hmm. was still a set designer's invention, even though it was minimal. Like good, does, good set design is minimal. And that's what's great about it. Like it's, it lets you get a taste of the world while letting there be so much freedom. And like Kirsten's in, I think. I frequently actually say that, like, I'd love to do that. I really want to do that show, but to do it totally differently and more realistic. <laughs> right, sure. And, you know, maybe, uh, that's a, maybe that's a sign of how well, what you were saying earlier, the designers work together, is that it was, it was very seamless in that particular, the curious incident. Yeah. Maybe what I'm seeing isn't so much that there wasn't a set design, but rather that it was also seamless and they worked so well together. Right, and like I didn't see Anastasia, but I've seen photos, and I know that like those scenic architecture that frames those screens and things yes. that make so that it creates again like everything has context and everything has a world that it lives in, mm-hmm. and so again when you're when we're doing our jobs well, it all just seems like one thing, and you see and you notice the video because it moves. It's why the thing that people say to me every time I do a show is, "Well, I don't want the video, the video to be distracting." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't either." Right, my job. Is- distract anyone it's to help the story (laughs) absolutely well on that note that takes me to the next thing i wanted to ask you which was i wanted to talk about the national tour of mean girls because that's another show mean girls where i was so shocked when i saw it uh here in dc before it went to uh new york uh how i was like oh my god and this is what happened when i walked in and this was I'm, i'm just being completely honest this was my i'm like there's no set I mean, obviously there's a set, Stefan, you know, it's like, yeah. not, but it was screens. It was mostly made of screens and pieces that came on and off, right? And screens that opened and closed. And then it was the projection. So for those of us who did see the Broadway production or, or the pre-Broadway trial in DC tryout, um, I know that you were on the team, part of the team to put together um, the national tour, and I guess there had to be changes. What did you guys change? How did you, can you reveal uh, what that was like, what that experience was like, and what did you alter to make it tourable? Sure. Uh, I'm gonna be super clear. I was uh, an animator and one of the assistants on that tour. Uh, sure. Mean Girls is designed by Finn Ross and Adam Young, mm-hmm. who are two brilliant um, designers out in the UK. Finn Ross has done Curious Incident that we've already mentioned, Frozen. Mm-hmm. And a number of other, like, they're both doing, I think, Back to the Future musical right now. They're, like, they're incredible people. Awesome. And um, you got to work I just had a very small role in, the, in terms of helping to adapt, like, what already was running on Broadway to go on tour. Um, but you're right in that it's, it, it's just video screens. <laughs> sure. But they are not just, they're not just, the thing that I'll say, like, again, when we talk about the set, they're arranged in a way that somebody had to come up with, where it's not just, like, a big flat screen wall right there's they a design a curve and there's levels and depth yeah. to it that actually let us create those different environments um that scott pask the set designer created and like scott actually had a lot of uh finn and adam and scott all worked closely together to come up with a lot of looks um like ideas at least and then like finn and adam kind of created like really built this beautiful world and they it was, I walked in and I was, I will say that I didn't see it in DC or Broadway before I worked on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Which is, <laughs> so I think, I good because you, you came in with fresh eyes. Yeah. And it was, uh, we had like two, two, three weeks or so to, te- to re-tech it as a big show. And I think we finished teching it in like four days. So we just sort of all were like, cool. Let's wow. uh, keep working and keep running it. And just sort of became a very relaxed kind of people started thinking of new things um, when Tina joined us, we were able to like come up with some new bits and like cut some things and like you know, just refine the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so why was there a need? So it was just- what, what was the need behind? Was it just a pure logistical being able to tour versus being in a sit down location? So, so you had to make everything lighter, easier, less, less cumbersome. What was the ad- thing that needed to be adapted from the Broadway? Sure. I mean, I think largely it's just logistical. It's, I mean, the, they have to adapt it because it's a new cast. It's not the Broadway cast. It's a national tour cast. And yeah. so it's them getting used to it. Um, and then it's sort of small changes. I think Mean Girls, um, probably better than a lot of shows because of the nature of the, the world, was able to adapt a lot better because of so much of it was like, oh, we like scaled and changed. We like changed the scale of the, of the set a little bit. So it's like smaller that it can fit in all these different size theaters. But 
cool. the general aesthetic of it worked really well and there wasn't a lot of you know content got readapted but because it was all screens and everything still it was able to quickly kind of just go back into place um and so it it ended up working really well but there's always just it was little changes we there there are small changes from broadway like i think there's i heard that like a lot of katie's soliloquy moments were cut ended up being cut um and like a bunch of little things that got edited just because like any artist knows if you have more time to tinker with something mm-hmm. like you're going to tinker with it and make it better <laughs> right absolutely so the designs weren't necessarily driven i mean the change in the show wasn't necessarily driven by the design it was just change the design was following changes that were just happening in the show for the tour that's what I'm trying to get to the. So I'm trying to understand if there were actual things that you had to do differently in the design for the tour than the Broadway production because of no. sheer space or size. No, you were able. You just had to adapt it to a slightly smaller size, I assume. So if I saw the show on yeah, tour, we were... I wouldn't. If I saw it on Broadway, then saw it on tour, would I not? You made it so it's seamless, and I wouldn't notice anything. Absolutely, you would. If you saw it on the tour. Um you would be uh, thoroughly impressed. We have an amazing tour cast and team and artists. So I think we've made, um, like, it's, you're not going to be like, oh, this is a tour, just, this is just the tour version. We've got an amazing lead. We've got amazing leads. We've got amazing cast members. Like, it's, again, I didn't see it on Broadway, but I'm like, the tour is better. I don't know. Right. No, <laughs> no, I hear you. No, I guess what I'm saying is, and this is a traditional thing that happens with every, every, um, time you see a tour versus see it on Broadway, there is an expectation from the audience before they even walk in the theater for a tour that, well, it isn't going to be, it's going to be a notch below Broadway. That's what people think. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Uh, And oftentimes I've seen some amazing, I saw a tour of Hairspray where I was like, this was so much better even than the Broadway production. So you never know, right? And so it all depends on on everything. I agree, the actors. But I'm saying in terms of design, you guys didn't spare any expense. So it's just as... It's just as seamless as it was on Broadway, and you're not going to sit there. And because sometimes the sets are different, right? For just sheer, you know, if it's a bus and truck tour, or if it's a, you know, another kind of tour, they need to they need to move the set around. And sometimes each theater is different in size, right? So you made it so it could fit yeah. in any of those spaces. Yeah, and I'm sure that there are small adjustments that people that might be the diehards will notice, but like I can't really name them. They might be like that door is slightly different size, or like right, something sure. else. Like there's small. Minuscule things that you won't pay attention to. Right, and it does not and the, compromise. The yeah, it does not compromise the work as a whole. So that's yeah. So that's awesome. So do you have any exciting projects coming up? I know that you said that you had like seven projects that were unfortunately put on pause or canceled uh, due to uh, COVID nineteen. Do you have things that have moved online? Are you working online at all on anything, or do you have a live project in twenty twenty one that's planned for later next year? What what what's in the horizon for you? Uh, for me, I, I have not really made the move to to online projects because uh, I'm kind of weathering the storm and using this time to um, again kind of self educate as a human being and kind of work with my community about developing and have conversations that I think we need to have. Um, so I'm, but I mean I'm I'm getting I'm starting. It's fun, we're, when we're when we're recording this. It's the start of September, so I'm starting to get more emails already. And we're trying to figure things out. Um, I'm nervous. I'm I'm personally super hesitant about doing anything on stage anytime soon. Sure. Um, with great precautions and things. Uh, one thing I can plug is that I read a, I read a children's book that's oh. going to be coming out in the fall. Oh, that's great. Uh, in probably like three months. What's the title? About inspiration and things like that. It's called Start with a Spark. Start with and a. We spark. have a website. Yeah. What is the yep. website? Is it startwithaspark.com? It's startwithasparkbook.com. Ah, and, um, startwithasparkbook.com. Okay. Yeah, so you can pre-order copies. It's about just uh, inspiration for, for young children um, and the idea of how you get inspired, kind of. Um, but other than that, I'm kind of just working on, uh, like I said, the, the bigger things that I think we all need to work on as theater artists because I don't think that theater is coming back the same way that we know theater. I think that's the big thing that we're all reckoning with mm-hmm. from small changes to 10 to 12 and rehearsal schedules to how we treat actors to representation on stage to a million other things. We're really going to be, we're not going to snap back and just see 
Hello Dolly again. It's going to be a different world. We come back. So you're of that group that thinks because the people that I've uh, that I've talked to during the American Theater Artists Online podcast they fall sort of into two categories, right? That you just outlined. So it's the people that think, listen, we'll have a vaccine, we're going to get a cure, something's going to happen, and then we're just going to all go back to normal. And then there's the other group that thinks we're never going back to normal, and whatever happens from now on will be different. And you're in that category, right? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I'm in the second group, but not, and I, again, like, I love doing musicals. Like, I was going to do West Side Story when this all happened down at Flower Playhouse, and I hope to, I think we're going to do that again when everything's safe. But, but it's like, how I love you're doing do it. big right. plays. And, but I think that we just need to all look at, there were, there were kinds of um, financial time and other abuses that artists put up with in our industry that are needed to get addressed. There's obviously racial conversations about equality that we need to do face. There's a ton that is going to be different sure. uh, and it needs to be different in, a, in an exciting way. Like I'm excited about it. Like I think art needs to change. And so, you know, that's the job of all of us as artists. It's to come up with, to be excited about and drive the next thing instead of just returning to what we're doing. That's great. Well, obviously you're really taking this pause um, to heart and you're thinking about it seriously, you're using it as time to reflect and to, to, to bring, you know, that new creative and societal community energy back when you do come back, Patrick, and that's wonderful. And so, um, you know, thank you so much for sharing your time here on American Theatre Artists Online. And we do hope that those projects, whatever it is that you work on that, that come up next for you once we're, we're back, are those exciting creative projects that you like to work on that really um, say something and do something different and, and take the medium to a new level, right? Take theater to the next, the next step. That's what it sounds like you want to work on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And like, I'm, I by no means mean that like you'll, you'll see my work on stage again someday, both in DC and probably across the country when we're all back. So I'm oh, still, absolutely. I'm still in that. I, I was, I, that, I, <laughs> yes, I, I understood that. Yes. I just thought that, you know, when, like you said, you're going to take a bit of a pause and like we all are. I mean, you know, listen, it's not been a voluntary pause. It's been a, it's been a mandatory pause. And like you said, you're making the most of it and that's good. I think we, I think it's smart to be reflective during this time, right? And to think of it. So we'll be looking forward to what what it is that, that, that you're going to be putting together moving forward. And if people, if people want to find, follow it. Yeah, yeah, well, sure. It'll take time. If people want to follow you, or I don't know if you're a social media person, or if people want to kind of know what you're going to be working on once we do get back and what you're up to, and if they want to find, obviously, if they want to find out more about the book, it's startwithasparkbook.com. But you have a website, right? Yep. Uh, PatrickWLord.com is my website. At PWLord is my Instagram. So feel free to follow that for dog pictures and show photos. Um, yeah, and I was going to say part of the big uh, of the work that you do as a projection video designer is really hard to talk about over uh, audio only podcasts. So I urge people to go to patrickwlord.com to look at some of your beautiful designs uh, that are on the website of the various productions that you've done. Uh, it, it's really some stunning and beautiful work. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today on American Theatre Artists Online. And thank you and have a great rest of the week. You too. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye.